Welcome back to Recurrent Events, episode five. I have with me again my esteemed colleague, Mr. Wesley Shantz, and also with us special guest, Mr. Oscar Ortiz. Welcome, Mr. Oscar Ortiz. Thank you, Alex. Um, look, I, I'm excited about being here. Um, I have to warn you that I haven't slept much, so if I'm off topic, uh, do not be shy to let me know. Uh, absolutely. We, we're just happy to have you in whatever state we, uh, you happen to show up in, uh, Mr. Ortiz, but I suppose I should say a few things about you. And it, it's funny because since we're, we're such good friends, uh, I, sh I should have mined more for some of your accomplishments. Um, but I know that you have an undergraduate degree from the University of Dallas. You have a master's degree from St. John's. You have, uh, you were a teacher before you went to St. John's and were then a teacher again, I think afterwards. And then accepted a vice principal role in May now this year. Um, and please correct me wherever I'm wrong because you know the listeners are here to hear from you today uh, and are now like a, a full principal down in Dallas at a charter school, is that correct? That is correct. I've, I've been a full principal for a year and a half now and uh, there is one last thing that has happened and I'm relocating to San Antonio to help run a school in Shirts, Texas as the uh, principal as well. Wow. Wow. And so hey, what's interesting yeah. is we got to talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wes, I, I'll put this down and then your question uh, is that we got to talk to David Oldham yesterday, who's a sort of traditional public school teacher. And then we talked a little bit about my experience as a charter school teacher and Wes as a full time charter school teacher as well as a substitute teacher. But you're you're, I think, our only friend who's gone into the administrative role. Then I'm uh, probably the only friend you've got that's that's lost his mind. <laughs> the administrative role can be uh it's it's recognized or i guess it's is known by teachers to be the kind of position that someone who's lost their mind will take uh, because it's not a very popular position with teachers and in traditional schooling and i'm sure you could uh, uh you've probably heard about this there's um there's a division or a very strong opposition uh, or a conflict that exists between te teachers and administrators that I've uh, worked really hard to avoid uh, at the schools that I work at. Well, yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, why aren't you sleeping, Oscar? What's going on? <laughs> well, yeah, that's I think it. I answered that question. <laughs> um, yes, I I've been traveling back and forth a lot from San Antonio, so that's why I'm not sleeping very much. Uh, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of loose ends that need to be taken care of with the school here at Mesquite uh, or Dallas. And it's, um, it's just an overwhelming amount of work right now. But hopefully I'll be getting some sleep soon. Well, two things about that. So something we had uh, David Oldham do for us yesterday is he kind of took us through a day in his life. And I'd love to hear what like a day in your life is like right now. Um, but, but also I want to hear... I want to hear about uh, what prompted what prompted this change and what make what made you and this is something we've talked about before. But what made you want to be an administrator? What made you want to be a leader, especially a leader in you know education, where obviously you're overburdened and underpaid, um, mm -hmm. rather than industry. And that's something that's something I'm very interested in hearing from you and and why you would be willing to relocate as well in order to. Well, I'd like to know what the difference between the schools are, too. Yeah, well, uh, look, why don't we start there? I think that's, that's probably going to be the easiest uh, question to answer. The school at uh, Dallas that I'm working in um, is considered a Title I school by the state. By Title I, what they mean is it's a low-income uh, demographic. And the school is uh, mostly Hispanic, so I think about 84% Hispanic, so we have a lot of Spanish speakers. And um, it's a school that used to be improvement required. Now, that means that our students were not uh, making the cut. So that we, we were not um, performing well on the state exam. However, with uh, the leadership of a gentleman named Ferro Yoakum, who uh, was my, is my colleague, but, and we've, we've been working together uh, for, the cup, for the past couple of months here at Mesquite, uh, the school made it off IR last year, which is excellent. Uh, and, and just to give you an idea how hard that is, uh, an IR school is a school where you're generally gonna find a lot of students who are several grade levels behind. 
So um, to give you an idea, we sometimes have sixth graders who are reading at the kindergarten level and yet are expected to pass the sixth grade level exam. So we're, we're fighting a good fight. It's an uphill battle and Mesquite, the school of Mesquite, has proved itself worthy of that fight. And that's the reason why I'm being sent down to uh, San Antonio is uh, the school in Shirts is pretty, sta uh, excuse me, the school in Mesquite is pretty stable. They don't need as many administrators as uh, we currently have on staff. And uh, it just so happens that a position opened up at Shirts and um, they will be needing a, an administrator there pretty soon. Now the school in Shirts is beautiful. It's a brand new building. It's, uh, if, I don't know if y'all have been to San Antonio or to the Shirts area, but it's farmlands, it's open spaces. Um, beautiful families, community is great. Uh, it's not a Title I school, uh, but it, it, it's, um, it's a school that is looking for the kind of leadership that will also improve the performance of the students. So I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm always up for a challenge. And I think, I think the reason that I'm always up for a challenge is growing up as a child, um, I read too many fairy tales. So I'm paying the price for it now. <laughs> Oscar, what's your what's your favorite fairy tale, or what's one that sort of uh, comes to mind, and inspires you at, at this at this juncture as you're making this transition? Uh, that's a great question, Wes. Um, you know, I I every fairy tale has a, a very similar theme, um, so it's very difficult to choose one that's my favorite. Um, but I I really enjoy the fairy tales where you have the uh, the child, and generally it involves a child instead of an adult who um, is either abandoned or is uh, suffering from the sins of the father or the mother. So for example, a stepmother. Um, and is for that reason what, what um, and perhaps Alex will be able to talk more towards this, is a child who's going through the phase called the cinders, just like Cinderella. So the child is in the basement working on the cinders and uh, the child then finds himself or finds the gold within his or her heart and makes it up into the, the throne room and eventually is, sits on that throne room, which I, th I think that's just, it's a beautiful story of uh, trial and success in the end or victory in the end. And it's not always in the form of material success, but spiritual, emotional, uh, just a good life, a good life lived. But it's interesting because, yeah, you, I think you did uh, very well too. Um, but what that throne looks like for you seems to be sort of like a real throne. It seems, uh, it's, but, but also very much a spiritual one because again, you're in education. You're not a, a CEO, but you are rising in the ranks. And so that's sort of something I, I'm interested in. It sounds like, and you know, I'd like to know whether you think this is a better school or whether objectively speaking, the school you're moving to does have better standardized test scores, which are the best standard that we have, which is why we use them. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also the most objective and also the most scientifically rigorous. Um, but, um, but also like what your day looks like in do you enjoy driving around and taking responsibility and potentially dealing with legal suits and dealing with conflict like you do, as opposed to say maintaining like a nice harmonious lyceum like classroom, like a teacher, like what was it in you or what was it about uh, administration that attracted you to doing that with your day rather than, you know, uh, teaching the students directly um, though I, I'm sure you have to do that with discipline every now and then. Yes, no, absolutely. I think um, to use again um, an image from myth, from fairy tales or from myth, um, is the image of uh, Hercules or Theseus, right? Theseus, when he realizes that uh, uh, he needs to travel back to, um, to his rightful place, and on the way there has all these trials, or these labors, or these fights. And what's uh, what's fascinating about the what's fascinating about these uh, myths is that the hero has a tendency to bring order to chaos, uh, to bring light to darkness, 
uh, to bring to bring peace where it's lacking. And I think that subconsciously, so it's taken me several years to actually bring that to light, to understand my own um, my own proclivity uh, towards the admin role. That's really, I think, what, what drew my heart to the role of leadership, which is in, in one hand, it's service, service. And, uh, but on the other hand, it was facing those dragons and bringing order and bringing light to places that needed it. Um, and that's, I mean, it's just, I relish that. I really do relish that when I come into a situation that's very challenging parents who are um, on, on the verge of suing the school or <laughs> students who um, don't see why what we do is significant. Uh, that just brings, brings joy to my heart to know that I can make a difference. And with a, if a team of capable adults uh, who are willing to follow that vision and um, allow themselves to put on the yoke of my leadership it's just remarkable to see what 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 can and what is possible to do so yeah are you guys still there i i'm here i i'm i'm mulling that over your description there of the uh the yoke um and and that sort of uh imagery that you you drawn upon from from the theseus myth or the hercules myth um, how much of a of an opportunity do you have to to tell those stories? Like when you interact with students or with other teachers, I suppose. Um, how much do you draw on some of those kind of classical references to to get your point across? And how much do you try to use things that are a little more directly relevant to their like immediate circumstances? Um, I would I would say a lot, uh, Wes, and, and it's only because I'm working at a classical school. I think. Uh, Probably should have said that uh, when we started. Uh, both the ch charter schools that I work at are classical charter schools. So a lot of the staff, a lot of the faculty here um, have read similar books that I have. Um, and, if they ha and if they have not, or if we have not, then we, uh, we make an effort to uh, continue growing in, the, in that life of contemplation, the intellectual life or the life of the mind. Uh, so I'm able to draw a lot from Aesop, Hesiod. I'm able to draw a lot from Herodotus. In fact, there was a, there was a period in my life where all I did was draw from Herodotus since I was uh, studying it, studying the histories deeply. Um, so yeah, I draw from it a lot, and I think that um, it has become one of the most effective ways for me to be, uh, as a leader, one of the most effective ways to communicate a deep uh, idea. Uh, without um, the use of too many words, so the, the the meaning or the essence of what I'm trying to communicate is it's it's carried a lot easier by the story itself, and I can just draw examples from stories uh, to make moving um, statements or or give uh, uh, directives that would would be a lot easier to just going back to the image of the yoke would be a lot easier to bear. Uh, given the story, I mean, because I'm, I'm always appealing to the virtue of, of of the teachers, and they're always demanding that I live a life of virtue, that I model that same life. Um, so, yeah. And, and so, when you say virtue, there, and this is a question I really wanted to get to with you: <laughs> Do you mean civic virtue or Catholic virtue? Oh, I'm glad that you asked that. I, I guess our listeners should know that I am Catholic. Um, I mean human virtue, um, Alex, and um, I don't tend to separate my Catholic virtue from civic or from, um, what was the other virtue you mentioned? Catholic. Civic and Catholic virtue, that's right. Um, I, I tend to think of the Catholic virtues as universal human virtues, not in conflict with who we are as persons. Um, but, but I can see that there would be times in which we, we should give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And there are times when we, you know, we just stand up to the man, <laughs> which I would consider a civic virtue. Uh, well, just to go down that path for a second, um, what do you consider the, what do you consider the, the virtue of a teacher 
of the civic virtue and what do you consider the civic virtue of an administrator or a principal, a leader? Are they mm. the same or are they different? Um, I think that ultimately they're the same. Um, if I'm understanding your term civic, uh, do you mind uh, defining that a little more? Um, the virtue of the state, that which enables the state to be the best possible state by its own definition. Got it, yes. No, I, I think that ultimately they're the same, which is uh, to serve the student. Now, the one thing that we don't want to do, and that's the reason why we have those state standards that we have to meet and the state exams that we have to take, is we want to make sure that our students are prepared to pass the exam. But ultimately, the higher aim of at least a classical educator is to make sure that the student is prepared to live a life of true human flourishing, um, a good life, a life that will lead to happiness. Um, and again, as a classical educator and, and a man who teaches Dante, like you do, uh, the, the Dante's Divine Comedy, it is that path towards virtue that leads to towards true happiness, right? The beatific vision, the ultimate beatific vision. Yeah, that, so that makes me think about the, um, the, the goal of a classical education and how that might be in tension with the goals or um, the effects, maybe if they're not goals exactly, because maybe there is no goal, but the effects anyway of a non-classical education, right? Just like a normal public school. Um, obviously, you guys all have to take the same state tests and uh, you all want to do well on them. But I don't know that there really is much of a goal beyond that for the average public school. And maybe that's not a fair characterization, but how much do you get to kind of see what goes on in schools outside of your own? How much do you hear from other administrators at other schools that maybe operate on a different model and uh, what kinds of things they're going through? Um, what kind of perspective do, do you have on that? Yeah, so I, the perspective I have is the one given to me by parents. Uh, you'll be surprised how many parents come knocking on our door asking if there is any, um, if there are any seats available for students because they're just not getting what they want from the public district schools, from your traditional government schools. Let's call them that just to, to be clear about what I'm discussing. Um, students are just not, parents are in search for that moral component of teaching, the character formation part of teaching. They're just not getting that anymore at government schools. And you, you got to understand that government schools are also in a very difficult uh, place. They can't really uh, declare what their real goal and intention is. Um, the political climate that we live in doesn't make that possible. And, and the philosophic climate that we live in uh, undermines any attempt from the educator or the adult to um, declare that there is any, any kind of objective truth or objective moral standards that we should live by. So the state schools not being able to make that uh, clear or explicit, they have to, um, what, what they end up doing is making a false statement, which is we don't really, um, we don't really have, let me, let me take that back. The, fa the false statement, which is we teach our students to think critically and to come up with their own truths um, and I call that a false statement because in the end, in secret or in private, that teacher that was hired to lead 23 to 30 students or sixth graders will have a very strong opinion about things in the world and will, whether uh, intentionally or not, transmit that to their students. So that, that just happens. It's just a matter um, there's no way to work around it. What the classical school do, does is that they make that explicit from the start so that there's no confusion and there are, there are no surprises as to what we're doing in the classroom. Does that sound like a fair assessment yeah, to you? Yeah, definitely. Alex West? I, mean, I find that really interesting. So we were just talking to uh, David Oldham just last night uh, about his school over uh, in Tennessee. It's a public school which has a complicated you know environment and 
and it's it doesn't have any kind of overt um you know stance on on the moral uh, aspect or the character development aspect or or you know certainly not on any kind of religious uh uh tradition which might be underlying a lot of that or or be a, a very particularly beautiful expression of a lot of that you know but you know i think he would agree with a lot of what you're saying because he shares a lot of the formation that you you embody right like your values and in your education we we all have a lot of those same sorts of things inside of us um and we are sort of allowed to express them differently depending on the uh, educational environments we find ourselves working within um it doesn't sound you know he's a really charming and bright sort of guy he didn't sound bitter about that but at the same time you know he is also trying to become a lawyer and trying to kind of shift into an uh, a broader sphere within which he can work um yeah. and, and sort of share his gifts and so i don't i find it very interesting then that you've you've found another kind of niche in which to to work with your talents and your your thoughts on this sort of thing um is is teaching or rather administrative um you know leading schools and and reforming schools is that sort of your long-term goal or do you do have would you have some other thing down the line that you're looking to to do at some point uh no i think it is the long-term goal and the reason that i've made it my long-term goal is that it is the only uh, at least besides becoming a professor at a university is the only other field that i've found where i have I am given the opportunity, not just given the, I'm encouraged to continue uh, be, being a scholar. I'm encouraged to continue reading, to doing research and writing. And uh, that's, that's really, in, in my opinion, one of, the, one of the main callings, one of the main things that appeals to me. So I, I am, for example, attracted to the, the law profession. And I'm, I'm a little envious of Oldham that he's uh, actually taken on that path. But at the same time, I know what I have and I know what fulfills me. And, and it wouldn't fulfill me in the same way that it would Mr. Oldham, for example. Um, I need to have that moment. I need to have that book in my hand all the time where I can draw from it. And then I can teach my teachers uh, the good the good things that I'm learning, the good deep things that I'm learning from our own tradition, our Western tradition. You know, it's so interesting that you said that one of your favorite things about being in education is that you are encouraged to continue being a scholar. And that's, that's exactly what Mr. Oldham said that he was, he was in education for, that he loved about education. Um, but I, I want to know a little bit more about what you just said about why pursuing the law would be less um, would be less interesting to you than keeping the book in your hand, which I, I, I understand to be staying in education. And I would like to know a little bit more about your long-term goals and why you think you can help more as a leader, as a direct leader or an overarching leader, um, whether, and whether you do conceptualize yourself as sort of a Darius or a general figure like that at some point rather than uh, a teacher? Or do you intend to take on both roles? Uh, because, you know, I know that you are very academic. We obviously do the Great Men podcast together, and we'll be starting that up at some point again. That's really wonderful. We did. <laughs> um, I, I would love to. And, and Wes is constantly encouraging me to get back on that. So, you know, we've got some support here. Um, but not, not just the support. I want to I interject. There's also the not just the the pool, but also the push. We we want to find some people, and we've thrown it out to Sarah, our our, our coworker here. Um, but we want to find someone to do a great women podcast too, to kind of like compete with you guys, and just like have that 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 spark um, between the different uh, perspectives. So, if that's any any encouragement to help you get going again. Yes. That would be fun. And so, so why education over law in that respect and why leadership 
over the classroom and, and what kind of leadership in the future? How do you conceptualize your path? Um, well, if, if I'm sincere with myself, Alex, it's really a battle between two different kinds of ambition. The first time, the first type of ambition that I struggle with or wrestle with is the kind of ambition that comes with being, having a big name in the world, that financial security, uh, you know, dressing well, being fit, being the best that you can be at everything. And that's what draws me to law, right? Being a, a, a good lawyer, winning a case, um, taking on very important clients and coming home to a big house and giving my wife security and my children everything they want. That's great. And that is very appealing. And um, the other type of ambition that I wrestle with is a different kind of glory. And it's the glory that comes from um, delving into the depths of the reality that we live in. It's the glory that philosophers and scholars seek, which is not temporal, but to be remembered like Achilles is still remembered more than 2,500, 3,000 years later. It's the type of glory that um, Plato and Aristotle um, achieved. And it doesn't come with the same, uh, it doesn't come with the same uh, with perks as the lawyer's perks, right? It's not a big car. It's not a big house. It's not, um, it's not coming home to a well-fed family. Sometimes it's actually the opposite. Um, so I, I kind of oscillate between the two. And I think I've settled for the greater glory. <laughs> whether, whether I'll achieve it or not, it's going to be a different story. We'll see. Um, but I do, I do have to be honest with myself. It's very easy to paint all of this in, in innocent terms and, and, and call it, you know, I just want to do the common good and I want to sacrifice my life for others. Certainly all those things are very much involved in what I do. But uh, I, do have, I do have a desire for, for glory. And I think that, that moves me a lot, quite a bit, actually. That's, I, I appreciate the, the honesty. I expect nothing less from you, Oscar. And you are so generous uh, at the same time with, with sharing your insights and, and promoting the things that you love. Um, you helped me a lot when I was leaving St. John's and going to work at a, a Great Heart School out in Arizona. You, you showed me a lot of kind of inside information that made that transition a lot smoother for me. Um, Hopefully and I, it was all uh, accurate. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. And, Good. and I've, I wonder about the, um, the ambition I have, which I, I don't like to talk about much because I'm so like bad at actually realizing it is, is writing. Um, I, I want to be a better writer and, and get stuff published, you know, stuff that I experienced out there at those schools, I think would make really good books, but I just haven't, I haven't sat down and written enough of it. I haven't worked on the stuff I have written enough. But do you think about writing and publishing as part of your kind of um, ambition as well? Uh, yeah, certainly I do. I do. Um, I don't know um, in what capacity. Um, I mean, part of the reason that I'm so attracted to podcasts and um, actually working with Alex um, with voice recording is that I, I consider myself a better speaker than I am a better writer. I, I find it to be the, um, the modern equivalent of oratory at the rostra, the Roman rostra, right? Where you uh, rile up the crowd and you draw, I mean, you, um, you influence um, people and you accomplish things um, through persuasion. And I find that to be, uh, I actually very happy that our society is moving back to, a, to almost a type of, um, I, I would say, and it sounds very, sounds negative, it's an illiterate society, which is in the sense of we're, the printed word seems to be losing its value and we're becoming very visual. Uh, I think TV and internet has done a lot of that. And um, 
we're going back to an, kind of an oral community. But, yeah, I, I think we're streamlining the information distributing process. But I, I like what you said about about liking to speak because I, I I don't know your writing well, but I would agree that you offer quite a bit with your speaking and your voice. And you really do put to question what it means to be speaking well. Is it how you sound or is it what you say? Or is it how you say it, you know? And uh, very interesting with you. But I think that the act of having these sorts of conversations is also very gentlemanly in the, the Athens Greek um, sort of sophrosune, uh, mm -hmm. and Kalos Kagathon way, that sophisticated sort of way, because what is it exactly that we're doing, but A, sharpening ourselves against each other by engaging in mental gymnastics, but also mutually informing each other by sharing our, our respective experiences and perspectives on that which we share in common and that which we do not share in common, right? So I, and, and there is a market now for people listening to this sort of thing because you can listen at any time. Yeah. Um, in the car or walking around doing laundry, taking a walk, even, you know, going to the, uh, the gym, uh, or something like that. And so, uh, well, a, we got to start up the great men podcast again. I, I can do it this weekend. Uh, Wes isn't even around, so that'd be a good use of time. Um, but, um, I also think that it models appropriate use of time, right? We, we all three, I think just to mention ambition, want to be you know sagacious we want to be sages and i think mm -hmm. it's easier to become a sage in the company of other people aspiring to become sages and yes. you see that sort of taken for granted in athens when they had euripides and sophocles and aristophanes um uh right and um and there was plato and aristotle and S socrates all on a line and mm -hmm. that there's there's something that I would say is not simply self-indulgent or personally ambitious in this endeavor, but something that actually has um, a, a transcendent value as well. Yeah, and, and if I can return to, uh, to connect with something that uh, Wes said about, um, he, he pointed out that I was very generous and I appreciate that, Wes. I, thanks. That's uh Thanks for that little detail there. I, um, I believe and I, I strongly believe in raising or in um, guiding all of my teachers towards leadership. I don't believe in the, in the type of ambition that um, is cutthroat or is at the expense of others um, because it's, I mean, real greatness, in my opinion, will draw everyone up with it. Um, so in the context of um, in the context of a society, and this is why I guess I'm also in education, um, in, a context, in a context of a society, it also flourishes best or, or greatness will flourish best in a free society. I mean, we see, uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is an argument that Socrates is, himself makes, is he, he is the result of a society which is a democratic one. And he raises an interesting question. Would he have been possible in a tyranny? Uh, or men like him, would they be possible in a tyranny? Perhaps, but maybe not as much. Um, and that's why I, I'm in the field of education because I want to bring up and I want to coach and I want to lead and I want to guide and I, and I want to raise others to the best that they can be. Uh, for their sake, but also for my sake, because I know that in the context of a, of a better society, I have a greater chance of reaching a higher uh, standard than in a society where that's not the case. Um, I'm not quite sure that I've made that point uh, very clear. So ask me questions if, if, in case I, I didn't say that right. What, well, so I, I think I, I'm following you and I, I think it does tie in with Alex's point about the uh, the kinds of dialogue that are possible in, in a in a community, a community where you have a number of right a number of people who are all striving to be to be great, um, and I, I wonder if there's um, 
like who who do you talk to on a daily? I, I kind of asked this before about like other administrators. You mentioned one of your your co administrators at the school. Um, who who do you kind of look up to? Who do you work with on a on a daily basis to kind of uh, flesh out your ideas and and continue growing? Um, I know you you know scholarly guy. You keep reading a lot of stuff too. And so what maybe some some of the things that you've been reading lately that have been influencing you. Um, if you could just kind of share some of those tips and tricks. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I think it's easier to answer by uh, starting with some of the things that you should avoid. Uh, sure. <laughs> You're a great thinker. Um, and it's Facebook. I think you should avoid Facebook. <laughs> uh, I think you should avoid anything that will distract your mind from that goal and uh in my case facebook is a, is a real trap because it's such an easy way to uh, occupy the mind on such trivial and petty things um, and there's no real sincere dialogue occurring um, there's this beautiful book by a french uh, jesuit called uh, sir delange and it's called the life of the mind and he describes how the mind is this perfectly taut string it's beautiful think of a guitar string and when the mind is at peace contemplating the things it ought to contemplate and it is progressing in its own growth then we don't you don't see it vibrate it's just still but when the mind is too occupied with this theory, that theory, that opinion, that argument, uh, and it's too distracted by this lecture or that, um, then it's, it, it vibrates uncontrollably. It doesn't necessarily make a good sound either. <laughs> it probably doesn't have the right pitch. Um, so I would say that the first thing, um, that I would recommend and, and that I would share with my own teachers who are aspiring to become leaders is to focus and to remove from their lives all those things that are distractions. And it's very difficult. I, I, I've, I'm surprised how many people cannot let go of the TV, for example. A TV seems to be um, one of the biggest vices of our times. And what's so amazing about it is that it it's not even perceived as one. Um, but that's where I would start. Then from there, I would say um, the people I admire and the, the people who sharpen my thought are the great thinkers. And I have their books and I do have a conversation with them. Everyone I pick, every time I pick up a book and read it. Um, and it's humbling because you realize that I'm nowhere near to their level. So that's a, that's a good exercise to have those great books that you're constantly going back to and sharpening your own thoughts with. Um, and then of course, my community, my teachers, my colleagues, um, they, I, I have some remarkable people on staff uh, with so much knowledge, much more knowledge than I do in, in many areas. Cause I, I haven't specialized in history, for example. And um, it, it's good to, Gather yourself with people who know, uh, who know things and know them well um, and have those conversations and be open to learning. So, uh, yeah, I, I, there, is a, there is a dearth of that. So uh, my hope is that one day in the near future, there will be more communities like that, uh, that people can find their own niche um, so that they can grow as well. And so... It it sounds like you're saying that you would pursue greatness because then you could be in the company of greatness as <laughs> other people pursue that as well as if you're saying you would like to live in a world that has pyramids or great cathedrals precisely because of their greatness and that if you saw a dearth of that in the world there's a niche or niche that you wish to fill and you're the man for the job. <laughs> yes, yes. I, um, you know, I can't separate greatness with perfection. Um, that's another, that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting thought. I, 
another thing, I don't know if, I don't know if you experienced this. I, I tend to believe that everyone has some sense of this, which is uh, there's a desire to perfect oneself. When you're aware of your own shortcomings, um, there are, you have, you have several options. You can just decide to disregard them, to live in denial of them, uh, or to work on honing your skill and becoming better and perfecting it. Uh, there, there is this ideal that I wish to fulfill. And I'd like to come as close as I, come, as I can to that ideal before I, before I die. Um, so greatness is not so much, there is the greatness that comes from fame, which others recognize you as great. And then there's the greatness of, which I think I'm, uh, hopefully I've communicated this well, is the, the greatness that I, that I seek after, which is knowing that you are in pursuit of an ideal. Uh, that transcends uh, time uh, and transcends your circumstances. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Alex, do you want to kind of share that anecdote you were telling us about something you experienced today in class uh, before we started here and maybe could uh, kind of wrap this up with, with that and some reflections on it? Well, it's interesting because uh, this year, especially with um, how many things I've been pursuing outside the classroom, I, I don't feel like I've connected with my students, especially the young guys in the way I sometimes do in sort of a joking way outside of the classroom. I'm sometimes around campus more and so develop a more of an offhanded relationship with them, but I've been far more business this, uh, this year just because I don't have much time. But I, I had the opportunity with one of my young students today and uh, you know, I, if he ever hears this, I don't want to inflate him too much, but I would consider him one of my better students. And um, well, to those who understand this, would have been one of the sort of students that Socrates would have enjoyed to talk to. And um, he, uh, he, he's a special young man, I think. And you know, he even sustained a sort of bad uh, brain injury last semester and uh, has been you know, working through that pretty well. But he, he stayed after class and had, he wanted to have a little conversation with me um, just about a couple things that weren't exactly directly related to the curriculum, but we had had a seminar that day where I was talking about the Odyssey, this today, in fact. Um, and I, and I, I had been talking about how um, dealing with small problems is the most joyous thing humans can do. That in fact, when they're bored, and I use the example of Christmas break for these students because it's very uh, open to them. What they'll seek out are games. And what a game is, is placing obstacles in front of you uh, that you, if you work hard enough and have enough skill, can overcome in order to achieve an end. But the real end is playing the game itself. And he said that he was really thinking about that. And uh, part of the conversation was that small problems that you deal with make you more capable of dealing with bigger problems while also keeping your problems small. Uh, and he said that he had gotten behind on some work the last semester and that he had, he had watched his problems get larger and that that really resonated with him. And, you know, he was saying all that as an intro to me because the real question he wanted to ask was he sort of looked at me and was like, Mr. Schmidt, you know, A, I'm very afraid of, choosing the wrong career. Can you tell me something about that? And I, I, you know, I was very frank with him saying that's very difficult to understand. And especially if you're very creative, there might not be a ready-made career for you. But he said he's into science. And I said, well, that's very good. Pursue that. But then he had an even deeper question, which was, he was like, Mr. Schmidt, I, I sort of looked at me like he was about to ask me something that might sort of morally offend me. Um, but he didn't want to offend me. He's like, I really want to be the best at whatever I do. Um, I, I, it's like, basically, I really want to be a standout. And, you know, is that okay is basically what he was asking. Or, or you know, what does that mean? Uh, and I, I figured that he must have been asking me that question because to him, I must be somebody who to some extent embodies that or is at least at the next level of attempting to embody that from him, um, you know, being in my early 30s now, I'm a couple, I guess, stages ahead of him in that respect. But I, it was a humbling question, but also 
I, I really liked getting to respond to him and be very honest with him because he seems to have the same sort of attitude that you have, Oscar. And what I said basically is, well, then your life's going to look a lot different from everybody else's if that's how you want to live. And you need to pick your two or three most important things. You need to pursue them relentlessly. And that's how you can, you know, do fitness and teaching and like a job or, or, or whatever else. But, you know, if that is what you want, if it's a, if the place you want to be is the top of wherever it is you go, you, you do need that burning desire. It's okay because, and you know, something else I told him is that his peer group is at some point going to look much different from how it does now. Um, <clears throat> and well, you know, maybe, maybe that's something we're attempting here in our own way. Yeah. And, um, let me, I want to draw a little bit of attention to the aspect of sacrifice that that's going to involve. Um, it's very, I've, you know, working with a lot of millennials, myself being a millennial, I think it's something that I've struggled with quite a bit. Um, but the, the younger, uh, the younger the teachers become and the older I become, my employees become, I'm noticing that there is a, a growing trend uh, among young, uh, young people, which is uh, they want the prize and they have the drive, but they're not aware of the level of sacrifice it will take. And I think that young people, especially in high school, if they are taught that sooner rather than later, there's a lot of pain that they can save themselves from. And I think that it's great. I am I, so encouraged to hear the, the story of your student, Alex, because it's, um, it's rare uh, for students to be so, so sincere in their own wants and desires. Um, it's great to see that there are people out there who still want that, who, who, who want something greater than what they have. Uh, but I think that there is, and, and this is what's so wonderful of the classical, of the classics that we read in the classical uh, approach to education. It's full of stories of misery, challenge, death, suffering, human suffering, deep human suffering, um, which is perhaps the one thing that across all epochs and all cultures seems to unite us as humans, is we all suffer. And I've seen so many good employees, so many good people just flounder and give up and think they're lonely or alone in their suffering because they're not aware of these stories, um, stories that you can go back to and gain strength from. Just a few weeks ago, I spoke to the faculty. We were going through a very challenging point because we had just finished the benchmarks for our school. And uh, for, for our listeners who don't know what benchmarks are, those are the tests that we give mid-year to see how our students are performing. And there was a lot to be proud of, but there was still a lot of work left to do uh, before we could reach our goal. So a story I drew from was Odysseus. I'm, um, I'm glad that you mentioned Odysseus. Odysseus does this wonderful thing every time he is in peril. He beats his breast and speaks to his heart and encourages his heart to continue, to continue persevering. Uh, here is a man, of course, in his 50s, or perhaps even older, uh, who does not have a, an inflated view or a mistaken view of how suffering will be very much a part of that upward journey towards the glory that he is seeking. Um, and I think that young people should, should probably be initiated into that sooner <laughs> rather than later because they want the million bucks right when they finish college. Yeah. I'm to be reading the Odyssey with this student. Totally. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know if you've encountered that, Alex, uh, at, uh, you know, uh, even with uh, peers. Uh, perhaps. I, I know that I myself have uh, sometimes despaired because I still haven't made my million bucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, Nietzsche says whether it be at 23 or 33, but I think we're all getting up there, so we better we better get to work. But I think we're doing something, and we're doing something valuable here. And um, 
you know, I think we're all, we're all heading in the right direction. And I think yes. we're aiming true. And There's that, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go on. There's that beautiful story that uh, um, I think you, I recall you um, brought up once, which is Caesar. Um, young Caesar, young man Caesar, right? Leading, the, leading his army against the Gauls. And he's faced with the statue of Alexander where he's standing before the statue of Alexander the Great. And he's recorded, someone recorded him to have whispered to himself with a deep sigh of regret and disappointment. Only 33 in everything you have accomplished and I have not accomplished anything. That was, those were Caesar's words when he was young. So in, in a way he was also despairing like a lot of us are. <laughs> and he had not achieved it yet. Well, I can say something very similar in a more ironic way because mm -hmm. as an Alexander at 33, I despair myself. And yet <laughs> we, we all move at our own pace. The tortoise beats the hare and the other Alexander didn't last much longer than this year. And so hopefully I can accomplish in a longer lifetime, what he did in a shorter one in a different way. And perhaps that'll be true of all of us in our own way. Well, so Oscar is fantastic. Yep. And I, I really want to enter into talks again about doing the great uh, men. And, you know, uh, potentially if we could figure out something short, you know, we could do something this weekend just because, you know, <laughs> this is the listeners are in for a real treat when they get to listen to this. And uh, thank you very much for sharing you know, you're very, very small amount of time. The listeners may not know you also have a family, a very young family. Yes. Uh, you're not just some bachelor doing all of this. Um, I guess <laughs> I I'm do. the only one like that now. Uh, Wes is married, of course. Um, yes, that's right. That's right. Congratulations, Wes. I, um, I heard all about the wedding. Um, I can't wait to meet your bride someday and uh, your new family. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, our, our schedule is really packing packing tight here we're going to visit Oldham now we're going to visit Ortiz all right Thanks. all right bring it on <laughs> uh-huh uh -huh. and we're gonna we're gonna bring the recording equipment when we do it um and so well Oscar um it's been you know to use some liturgical lesson our our language on our civic virtue civically minded show it's been a real blessing to have you on it's been uh it's been a grace and so thank you for Thank you for gracing us with your presence. Thank you so much, Alex. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be part of your show. I enjoy it quite a bit, and I hope to be part of it uh, in the future as well. Here, yeah, here. Well, yeah, we hope to have you. All right, until next time, gentlemen. Until next time. Bye-bye.